If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open them with me to Psalm 29, Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of poetry, songs, and prayers, roughly in the middle of your Bible. Uh, it's The P is silent, to quote Roadhouse, Roadhouse, right, Andy? P is silent? Is that right? Awesome. Um, never mind. Sorry. A little humor for my own self. I'm laughing on the inside. Um, Psalm 29, we're going to consider this words this morning. It's good to be back with you this morning. The last few months have been interesting in our life. There's a small church up in Blue Rapids, Kansas, um, whose pastor actually suffered a brain tumor uh, early in February. He was in the middle of his sermon, actually, and several of the nurses within the congregation stopped him in the middle of the service and said, something is not right, you need to go to the hospital. He found out that afternoon he had a brain tumor. It was removed that week, and he's been receiving chemotherapy treatment, so I've been doing some pulpit supply unexpectedly the last few weeks. Um, and as much as I'm grateful to serve the kingdom in that way and to be able to serve that congregation these several times, it's also good to be back with you this morning as we open God's Word together. When I was in high school, uh, our church youth group went on a mission trip to the tiny town of War Road, Minnesota. And if you look at northern Minnesota, War Road is almost Canada, but not quite That week, it got hot, and it was dry, at least for upper Minnesota, which means it was like 85. Um, But it was very dry, and we were working outdoors most of the week. And about Thursday evening, we noticed the clouds begin to gather, and we looked off in the distance, and we saw this thunderhead, this giant cloud just sort of sitting there, moving slowly our direction. We started to get excited. Thursday night was an off night for us. And it was awesome and amazing to watch this cloud just move in over us. And the big, heavy drops start to fall. And as good high school students, what we did is we ran out in it. And we jumped and we danced and we ran and we played. I start there this morning because Psalm 29 is filled with with imagery of a thunderstorm. In fact, scholars tend to think that, that the circumstances that led for David to write these words down were that, witnessing a giant thunderstorm come across the sky and sweep across the landscape. It's easy for us to look at the weather as sort of the easy small talk with people you don't know to try to avoid awkwardness, but only to create more awkwardness. Maybe a chance to have some fun. But David in this psalm actually reflects on the weather as the, as the drops fall. He reflects on the power of the Lord and the voice of the Lord. And so I turn our attention now to Psalm chapter 29. I'll read it in its entirety and then I'll pray for us and then we'll talk about what it says, what it means, and how we can respond to it. Hear now the word of the Lord. A psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Sarayan like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the the forests bare. In His temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to, the, to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray now as we consider together these words. Father, our prayer as it often is, 
this morning that you would send forth your light and your truth. That they would lead us, that they would guide us, that they would take us to the place where you dwell, that we might find you there. Father, may your word be this powerful in our midst this morning that we would be changed. We pray this looking to your son and his accomplished work on our behalf and the ongoing work of his spirit and your spirit in our lives today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. In April of 2011, NBC debuted its attempt at reality television, in particular in the form of a musical variety type show called The Voice. It was adapting actually a Dutch show called The Voice of Holland. The the, the initial promo went something like this for The Voice. For the first time, it doesn't matter what you wear, it doesn't matter what you look like, because this time all that matters is The Voice. The gimmick went something like this. We'd seen American Idol and we'd grown accustomed, and even some of us addicted to American Idol. We'd grown accustomed to somebody walking in the room looking not like a rock star and them promptly being made fun of by the judges or judge, depending on the individual involved. With the voice, the gimmick of the voice went something like this. As I just said, you don't, the judges wouldn't even see the performers initially. The judges sit at the front of the room, or in the front of the stage with their backs in these swivel chairs, backs to the, uh, to the performer. The performer walks out on stage in the shadows. The music starts to play, and they start to sing. And we get to see these glimpses of the judges' faces as they hear the voices for the first time. And as the show has gone on, they interact with each other. There's, there's entertaining banter. But the point of all of this is to say what really matters in this context is the power of that voice. The ability of the singer. And so without fail, you see the judges sitting there and, and they, someone walks out on stage and the music begins to play and they hear this bass tone come out of the, the, the singer. And they turn around and it's like, you know, a five-foot woman or something like that. Or they hear this beautifully high soprano falsetto voice nailing all the notes as it rises higher and higher and higher to turn around and see someone my size and singing this that they didn't expect. The emphasis is on the voice. One of the judges actually said this way in promoing the show, you close your eyes and you concentrate on nothing but the voice. Now, thankfully, David is not trying to create a reality show in Psalm 29. But if you were paying attention as we read it, what you heard over and over again, seven times, in fact, is that vital phrase, the voice of the Lord to draw our attention on the the speaking act of God and his work in the world. David actually describes the voice voice of the Lord in verse 4 as full of majesty or full of splendor, which is really fascinating because he's using visual language to describe something that is only a sound. We don't see God in the scriptures. In fact, those who have asked to see God, God says, you can't look at me directly, otherwise you would perish. But I will speak to you. And David is writing out of that tradition. In fact, the psalm ends in verse 10 by speaking of the Lord in royal terms, enthroned in the heavens. In other words, sitting on his throne. What David wants us to pay attention to in his words here and in our lives today is the voice of the king as the king rules through his speech in his world. Don't think about David's life. He grew up hearing the stories of the scriptures, right? He, he grew up hearing the stories of time and again God speaking. In fact, the, the, the early words of the first chapter of the book of Genesis, the very first words of the Bible are, 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then a few verses later, and God said, let there be light. The world has come into existence because God has spoken. It's through his voice that the world has come into existence. It's through his voice that he called out to Abraham and said, go. It's through his voice that he called out to a man named Moses from a bush that was on fire yet not being consumed and said, go. It was through the voice of the Lord that he spoke through his prophets after David was king, after David had come and gone. The prophets saying to the people of God, repent, repent. Change your way of life. Turn from the things that you're worshiping and turn to me. It's throughout scriptures that we hear the voice of the Lord coming to us. And it's what David wants us to hear here in Psalm 29. And so I ask you this morning, do you hear the voice of your king? Do you hear the voice of your king? As as the psalm begins, the first thing that I want us to see is that what David wants us to know about the voice of the Lord is that it's here to tell us that the king is actually present, that the king is here. Now notice where his reflection starts, though, in verses 1 and 2. He says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Some of your Bibles may say something like, O sons of power or sons of God. What's fascinating is as David sees this storm approaching and reflects on the power of God in the storm and focuses our attention on the voice, He actually doesn't start there. He starts beyond the skies. He starts in the heavens. And he calls out to the beings, to the angels that are in the very presence of God, ascribe to the Lord glory. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. When he uses that word ascribe, if you need help with that like I did this week, what what he's saying is, he's saying give something to God. Name God for who he is. Now let's pause there for a minute because... In human terminology, that may sound self-absorbed of God, or even arrogant. And I couldn't resist putting a quotation in your bulletin this morning from Star Wars yet again. If you remember in Empire Strikes Back, when Han Solo is about to be frozen into carbonite, the classic scene, it's the, the music is swelling up, something bad is about to happen, and everybody knows it. And, and Chewbacca, the Wookiee, is holding Leia back, and she looks at Han, and she says, I love you. And Han says, I know. And as much as that may drive us nuts and we feel the arrogance of that moment, we love it. We love it because she's telling him something that he assumes to be true already without her saying it. And if you remember from earlier in the movie, they had this banter going on in this, this conflict almost, if you will. But in that moment, she says what she believes and he simply says, I know. God is not that arrogant. What God is doing here is he's calling us through David's words to give to him not something that he needs, not something that we could ever provide him that he would ever be without, but he invites us into this place of calling out to him, of naming him for who he is, for acknowledging him for who he is and what he has done. You see, a scribe here means to give to God by way of your words. Acknowledge things about God that are true of him. We are not going to give him anything that is not yet his. But we are giving to him what is rightfully his. You see that word when he talks about glory and strength, that word glory is a fascinating word because it shows up throughout Scripture. And if you've been in the church for a long time, it's probably become a part of your parlance. But do we stop and think about what it means that we would give glory to God? You see, the glory of God is the fullness of who he is in grace and in truth, in beauty, in goodness, in justice, and in mercy. 
It is acknowledging that God is the fountainhead of all of those things in life, and in fact, the fountainhead of the very life we live itself. To give him glory, to give him strength, is not to flex our muscles as if that would mean anything to him. But it is to, to acknowledge him sitting on his throne for who he is, in full deserving of all of that. And yet notice where the, 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 the psalm goes in verse Four, it says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The act of worship there is, is more literalistically the act of bowing down before him. Acknowledge him with your words and even in your very physical expression, bow down before him as his servant. This is what David writes to the heavenly beings, to those in the presence of God. The glimpses we get in Isaiah chapter 6, for example, when Isaiah sees the Lord seated on his throne, what does he see? He sees the angelic beings, the seraphim, the, 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 the seraphim surrounding the throne of God, not even looking at him, but singing, holy, holy, holy. In the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, John sees a similar, similar visions of the throne of God. And what does he see? He sees these very creatures doing this very thing in endless worship of the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth. But David has seen a storm, right? Look at verses 3 and 4 and notice how this continues. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of, the, the God of glory thunders. David begins to hear the rumblings of the storm on its way. And he knows it's coming. And, and looking at the, the, the process of rain from a very human perspective, he looks up and he knows that somehow there's waters in the heavens that are about to fall. And his acknowledgement is that God is over those waters, that God is present even as he was over the waters at the moment of creation. God's glory, his beauty, his truth, his power are about to be on display in a fascinating kind of way. What David is realizing is the king is present in the storm. The king is not simply one that we cannot see off in the distance in some place that we cannot ever find on our own power and might. But the king is present even in the outworking of nature, even the outpouring of the heavens, as is about to happen. But then notice later in verse 9, after reflecting on these things, notice the very last phrase that shows up in verse 9. It says, In his temple all cry glory. You see, the presence of the Lord God expressed in, expressed in nature, the revelation that we get of God, God telling us who he is through what he is doing through the, the course of creation, leads the people of God to respond to that initial call that was to the heavenly beings. The instruction was that they were to ascribe glory to God. But what, what's happening here in the temple, the place where God dwells, is that the people are joining in this chorus. God is present. The king is present among his people. And our response is to cry out with the heavenly song, to cry out glory. You see, the worship of God's people is always the joining of our voices with the voices above. The king is here. This indeed, beloved, is the intersection between heaven and earth. What's happening here is this. David is inviting us to look around, look around us, to see God at work, and to find the enjoyment that he finds, to find the celebration that he finds in seeing God for who he is. C.S. Lewis said it this way, We delight to praise what we enjoy because praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. The act of praise is not only looking at something and finding delight in it, 
But the act of worship, even in a corporate setting, especially in a corporate setting, is to say to others, look at, do you see what I see? Let's, let's rejoice in this together. Because we know that our celebration isn't done until we've said to somebody else, you've got to come see this. You will not believe this. Worship is not an individual act alone. It's the worship of God. It's the response of God's people to the voices that they hear above and to the world around them. You see, God is complete in himself. This is the invitation to God's people to join in that completion, to join in the celebration of the goodness and the glory and the beauty and the truth of who God is. Our worship is joining in what is happening and it's responding to who he is and what he's done. You're invited to be in this. Do you hear your king calling to you to tell you that he is here? That in the storms of your life, in the, in the good things of your life, in the celebrations of your life, he is present. In the most fundamental things about what it means to live on this earth, to experience the weather and the changes of the weather, that he is present in those moments and in those things. That he has not left you, but he is here ruling Look with me back at verse 5 and notice where this continues to to unfold. Now, we'll use a little bit of imagination here potentially, but remember, David is a poet. He's a musician. And he's reflecting on his experience, looking from the ground up to see what he sees. Look with me beginning in verse 5. So I was looking at the wrong psalm there. That was about to get really weird. Um, He says in verse 5, The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. What David is doing is he's reflecting on the strength of God as he sees it in the nature. The strength of what he's connecting with the very voice of God in the very works of happening around him. You see, the cedar tree is a, is a tall, straight tree. It's excellent for building. And in the scriptures, it's often associated with not what man has accomplished because man doesn't make the tree, but, it, but it's associated with what man sees in that tree that he might accomplish the glorious structures that he might make, his power to create in his world. And David's reflection on it is that the voice of the Lord can break even the cedar trees. The cedars of Lebanon in the northern part of Israel. And then in verse 6, he goes on to say this, He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, and Sarion like a young wild ox. Sarion is another name we know from the book of, early in the book of Deuteronomy for the, the Mount Hermon, which is a, a mountain in the high, in the north, again in the northern part of Israel. And David is looking at the mountain and saying, even that thing cannot withstand the voice of the Lord. He's describing strength and power of God at work in his world. To say nothing that we might put our confidence in, nothing that we might put our trust in can stand against the very power of the voice of God. Of the Lord, look at. But keep what we keep reading. We get into verse seven. He says, "The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire." David's describing the beauty of lightning as it streaks across the sky, and goes and splits the sky into multiple pieces. The power of lightning as it stands, flames of fire is what he sees and what he talks about. This too is the voice of the Lord. Even looking into verses 8 and verse 9 as he continues, he talks about the Lord shaking the wilderness. Shaking the wilderness of Kadesh, which is in the southern part of Israel, the place that the people of God would have wandered through to get to where they are now. And then in verse 9, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. Nothing, nothing is safe when it comes to the voice of the Lord and the power and strength that resides in it. 
nothing can withstand. Even the expecting deer, when God shows up and he shakes the, the, the wilderness, the images of, a deer, of the deer being caused to give birth prematurely at the power of the voice of the Lord, nothing can withstand. I was actually thinking this morning as I was wrestling through this, this portion of the text, what, 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 it, what comes to mind for me is that scene from The Incredibles, when Mr. Incredible is so fed up with his boss, you remember that scene? He's so fed up with the little squirmy little boss who's, who's treating him without any sort of dignity, and they're just simply making money off of all their customers, and he gets so mad, he finally punches him. And, and the way the scene unfolds is that he punches his boss, which kids don't do that. Don't ever punch your boss. Let's just let that be said. But in this moment of frustration, he punches the boss, and we see the boss has gone through the drywall of the cubicle, right? And that's all we see. And then the camera, in essence, moves. It's not, I realize it's a cartoon, so there's not really a camera. But this, the scene moves, and you see that not only has the boss gone through one cubicle, but he's gone through the whole building, and you see the, the pattern going back and back and back and back. The next scene is the, the, the boss is in the hospital in, in traction. The point here is that strength looks like one thing initially, and then in that scene, as we see the fuller picture, we see the real power of Mr. Incredible. That's a hint at best of what David wants us to see when it comes to the power of the voice of the Lord. He wants us to see the strength of the, of the word of God at work in his world. That God would command and things would happen. And that nothing, absolutely nothing, could stand in its way. The king is strong enough to shape the world, even the biggest parts that we could ever imagine. Even our own attempts to shape the world ourselves the voice of the Lord remains even stronger and more powerful than we could even begin to imagine. The king is strong enough to withstand his enemies, beloved. The king is strong enough to withstand any who would stand against him. Find comfort as you live in a world that most of the time looks at the possibility of belief with disdain. It looks at the possibility of believing in the unseen world, believing in this creature this being that spoke all things into existence and lovingly rules over all things even when we can't understand it. Find comfort in the fact that even before a world that would disbelieve and reject, nothing will stand against the voice of the Lord. Nothing will get in His way. Nothing will thwart His purposes. Absolutely nothing can cause His will from being to be done in this world. Let that be the foundation of how we live our lives in a culture that, such as it is. Let that be the foundation of how we face the world in which we live. That God knows all things, is all-powerful, is omnipotent, is the word that we use to describe that. And that absolutely nothing can stop him from doing what he would choose to do in this world. There are no accidents in your lives, beloved. There is nothing that happens that would surprise him. There is no diagnosis. There is no accident. There is no, there is no grade left unchecked. There is no box left unmarked. There is absolutely nothing that would happen in your lives that anyone could look at and say, God didn't know about that. Or God is not in control even of that. And hear me say, that doesn't answer all your questions yet. And I know that. But let your starting place be the power and the strength of God. But let it be something more as well. Because what's happening here is not only an expression of power, 
but it's an expression of authority. Because as we, as we, as, as we see the, the storm clouds grow and build, and we, we imagine the raindrops dropping even on David's head if he's in a cave potentially, which we know he spent a lot of time in caves, watching it from, the out, from inside this cave, watching it come down outside. And as the, as the storm grows, grows and grows and grows, What's also growing is his confidence in the right for God to rule over all things. It's not just a question of having the ability as if God's going to win, but he is actually the one in, in the place of authority over all things. Think about the scene early in, in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell one of my favorite stories of Jesus, and that is when three friend, or four friends bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus to be healed. And if you're, if you're familiar with the scene, you know that Jesus is teaching. There's a crowd of people. People are spilling out of this small house. And these, these men come carrying this man to be healed. And they, they have to cut a hole in the ceiling. And they drop him through. And in the midst of this conversation, Jesus looks at the man and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And everyone says, Wait, 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 wait. You don't have that right to forgive the sins of this man. Only God can do that. And then Jesus says, so that you, and I'm paraphrasing here a bit, but as you, what Jesus goes on to say is, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, get up and walk. That is a display of power, that Jesus has the power, the ability to make something happen like that. But he's saying not only that he has the power, but he has the right as the Son of God. It is his place to forgive sins. The storm is building. And we see not only the strong one who can withstand the storm, but we see the one who has authority over the storm. And notice how the psalm ends in verses 10 and 11. The king is present, the king is strong, and the king is good. Notice what happens beginning in verse 10. He says this, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. That word flood is an interesting word as it shows up here in this text. Because what my research tells me is that that word flood shows up at only one other place in Scripture. And it's the place that you may be thinking of. The only other place that word flood shows up in this form is in the early chapters of Genesis when God floods all things in an act of judgment, but in an act of mercy sustains Noah and his family through the ark and the animals through the ark and brings life out of judgment. You can imagine David sitting there watching the rains fall, and like we jokingly do, and in really bad rains, the press likes to joke about, is this the next, ark? you know, is God going to flood the world again? Do we need to start building our arks? Is this ever going to stop? And where David's mind goes is to say that the Lord is enthroned on the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Where David's mind takes us, where his words take us, is to remember the covenant faithfulness of God who said, never again will I do that. I did it that time, and I was in control then, and I will never again flood the world to destroy it. And I'm going to give you the rainbow in the heavens to remember that never again will that happen. David is saying, "Is this is the God who is in charge. This is our king, and he's good. The storm rages on. The waters fill dry creek breads, but David remembers the promises of God, and he sees the king on his throne. And he wants us to know that that same king is still on his throne today. Which leads him in verse 11, not only to remember God's covenant faithfulness, but to pray courageously. 
The psalm ends with a simple prayer. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. David hears the voice of the Lord in the storm and he considers what's going on. David asks for strength because he knows to live knowing this God in the world that does not know this God requires strength. The New Testament talks a lot about endurance and how endurance leads to the building of character and to faithfulness and so on and so forth. And the reality is that we are not strong enough in and of ourselves. And so David asks for strength to remain faithful, to endure. And he asks for peace. He asks for the wholeness of life to find rest and confidence in the knowledge that this God will not let his people go. That he is strong enough to stand against their enemies, but what he's after is more than simply a brute show of force. But that he's after peace in our lives. And so David prays. Do you hear the voice of the king? The king who is good. Does praise lead you to prayer? The flow of the psalm is that that's the natural conclusion, isn't it? That we would look at who God is and how he's acted in this world time and again. That we would look at our lives and the moments of our lives that we can look back on and see, I can't explain that other than the fact that God gave this to me. That God provided this for me. It may be small, it may be great. David's inviting us to look upon those things and to continue to approach the one who organized those things, who, who made those things happen in our lives. To bring all that we are, to ask for strength when we need strength. To cry out for peace when all we see is violence and conflict. To ask for strength and to pray for peace. Actor David Oyelowo, I think I'm getting that right, who is in such movies as Selma and Interstellar and Lincoln, is the son of Nigerian parents, but he was, as a young boy, he lived in London with his family. When he was about six, his dad came to him and said, David, I need to tell you something about your family. We're royalty. We have royal, we're part of a royal line back in our village in Nigeria where we're from. And the bright six-year-old didn't believe his dad's words. He said, there's no way that we could be kings and princes, dad. It just doesn't make sense. But then the family eventually moved from England back to Nigeria where they lived on Oyelowo Street in the Oyelowo compound. You see, David found out that his last name means a king deserves respect. The interviewer that I listened to asked him, how did it feel to have this position, this royal lineage connected to you that wasn't based on your skill, that wasn't based on your talent, that wasn't based on voting or anything else? How did that feel? And David's response was simply to say this. The title had no real monetary or positional benefits, which is actually, from what I understand, common in African nations, where you can be royal and there's just not a whole lot of uh, resources there connected with that. Well, he went on to say, he said, it was something that was connected in my family, there was something in my family's past, and our name is a residue and proof of it. But he goes on to say this, what it gave me is a sense of self that has enabled me as I've gone into life in the West to carry myself in a way that flies in the face of the world in which I live. There are a lot of challenges I have faced as a black person, both in the UK and in the US, that contrive to make me feel lesser than what I am. But to know that I came from a lineage of kings, to know that I came from a place whereby every opportunity afforded is mine for the taking, it makes me get out of bed a very different way than if I feel like today is yet another fight. This is something I carry with me. He embraces his royal lineage to say, yes, there's not money, there's not 
real power or influence with this. But this is something that is mine that cannot be taken away from me because of where I was born. Beloved, when Jesus came to the earth, he came to say the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And he came to say that because he's the king who came for his people. You see, even as David takes us to this place of seeing that the king is present, that the king is strong, and that the king is good, the message of the Bible is that by faith, he is your king. And you are of his lineage. You are a royal nation, a holy priesthood, the scriptures tell us. And that cannot be ripped apart from you. That cannot be taken away from you. The one who is present in the storms. The one who is stronger than the strongest trees in the greatest mountains. Is the one who is good. He's your king. And he's the king who lived, died, and rose again. So that you will have life eternal. You hear the voice of the king. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it may be strange for us to think that we hear your voice through your word as often as it would be read, as often it would be sung, as often it would be before our eyes. And if that's what you tell us, Father, your word endures forever. Nothing will thwart its purposes. Nothing will thwart your purposes through it. We pray in an ongoing way that today, tomorrow, and every day after, this word would have that effect in our lives. That your presence, that your power, that your goodness would be more and more real to us. That we might know your strength and your peace. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.